John chapter 3. That is where we will begin, and I will give you time to turn to the next passage. Not a lot of time, but I'll give you time. And uh, we will read, and I'll give a little explanation while you turn to the next passage. I will explain just what I want you to see about the previous passage. We'll do that nine times altogether, and I think it'll be very easy to see the picture that God has for us to see this morning. All right, you're in John chapter 3. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that one day the gospel message got to us. And Lord, practically everyone here and perhaps even everyone here, there came a day when the gospel message got to each of us and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And now we hold in our hands and in our hearts a great opportunity and a great responsibility to get that message to others. Yes, we understand many things about that responsibility. We understand we're supposed to live it every day. We understand we are supposed to let the Spirit of God work in us and produce His fruit so that we might be the best witness that we can be. We understand that we have a responsibility to actually reach out and present that message as often as possible. But, Lord, there is a dimension that is much neglected, and that is our prayer and our giving of money to get the gospel to every country in the world. Lord, I thank you that there's a mechanism whereby we do not need to travel to every country in the world. I thank you that there is the, the mission boards and the missionaries and people who are surrendering to the mission field all the time. I thank you, Lord, that there is Final Frontiers and FBMI and uh, BIMI and other boards that we work with that we can directly support people doing around the world what we do right here, which is constantly push the gospel, looking for those who are looking for you. So I pray that you'd help us to get the burden today to give to the work of world missions. Bless our time in your word. Give me the gift of of brevity, but give me also your power, the Holy Spirit power in the preaching of the word of God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You're in John chapter 3, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. Follow along as I read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can turn over to 1 John chapter 4 while I explain to you why it was important that we started John 3.16. Because I believe that nowhere in the Bible is the message of the gospel summarized better than it is in John 3.16. And don't ever miss the fact that John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. And sometime take the time to look at a globe. Globes, maps just absolutely fascinate me. We have a map on the wall outside of the lobby, right outside of the the, uh, restrooms, a uh, huge world map. And I wish we had the facility to put it in a more prominent place. That's the biggest empty wall space we have. But I could sit and look at that map for hours and not get bored because there's so many things about the planet and about geography 
that I don't know and I can make so many discoveries and trying to put it, put things into perspective. Oh, that's where that is. Well, you can go in, you can take your finger and put it anywhere on that map, except I guess the ocean and stop at a place that is not water and say, yes, God so loved the world. That's them too. And you can move your finger to other places, islands, Continents, countries, cities, towns, the world's largest cities, and the world's most primitive villages. You can stop your finger anywhere on that map and say, yes, there too. God so loved the world. He doesn't love the celebrity in Hollywood any more or any less than he does the child in a primitive country with a bloated stomach dying of starvation. He loves that child no more and no less. And he sent his son for that child no more and no less than he did for the wealthy, the famous. You're in 1 John chapter 4. Oh, I'm sorry, let me make this statement about John 3.16. God loved everyone in the world so much that he gave his son Jesus to save them. God so loved the world. You're in 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 14. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I'm going to talk about that for a moment. You can turn back to the book of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, you say, we were just in John. Why well, just have a stay there because I'm progressing in these thoughts and ideas, so it's going to take us around a little bit. I'm sorry for that. So back to John chapter 1, and we'll get that in just a moment. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God the Father sent Jesus, His Son, to be the Savior of everyone in the world, which means everyone in the world has a Savior. Whatever opportunity you might have to see people from around the world. You know, you can see television commercials or documentaries or all kinds of reasons why you would be viewing pictures of people in all kinds of cultures and all kinds of places. And if you could ignore maybe whatever reason that is being given, you know... uh, uh, let's learn about this culture or let's learn about, those are all fine and it's not bad. But if you could ignore the primary purpose of that documentary or commercial or whatever it is and realize that the number one thing that you need to know about those people, whoever they are, wherever they are, is they have a Savior. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior. Of the world. They have a Savior. You're in John chapter 1 now, verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So God so loved the world, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sent to take away the sin. Of everyone in the world. Turn over to 1 John. Yes, back and forth. Back to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 
so easy to get caught up in ourselves, get caught up in where we live and our own problems. But you have no greater challenge, Christian. You have no greater challenge than the fact that the same Savior who is your Savior is also the Savior of untold millions and millions and millions of people around the world. That's a challenge also. And I think I could make the argument to you from the Bible that that is your primary challenge. I think someday you will think it's your primary challenge. I think someday you will be ashamed of yourself that it, you did not see it as more of a challenge than making the car payment this month or, or uh, paying the mortgage this month or, or getting this fixed. Or that. Those are, I'm not minimizing those. Those are challenges. Those are the cares of this life. But someday when you stand before Jesus Christ and you wonder, you figure out, man, <clears throat> I afforded the toys. I afforded the fun. I paid for the trips, but I never managed to make it a priority to see to it that the gospel message got to the untold millions around the world who have a Savior but don't know it. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. It says, and he is the propitiation. Now, the word propitiation, you say, why, why doesn't the Bible use a better word? Because to be honest with you, there is not a more accurate word. The word propitiation the best synonym I can give you is peace offering. The offering for sin that appeased the wrath of God is the accurate definition of propitiation. The offering for sin that appeased the wrath of God. And Jesus is the propitiation. That's what propitiation means. So he is the peace offering for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Why is it that we only care to know that He is our peace offering? And our children, and our moms and dads, and brothers and sisters, and relatives, and once we get past them, well, that's not our problem. But the Spirit of God led John to say, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the peace offering to God. On behalf of every human being. Turn back a few pages to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. While you're turning, let me remind you what we've seen, what we have seen so far. God loved everyone in the whole world so much that he gave his son Jesus to save them. God the Father sent Jesus his son to be the savior of everyone in the world. Jesus was sent to take away the sin of everyone in the world. Jesus is the peace offering to God on behalf of every human being. Yeah, now you're in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verse 10, 1 Timothy 4.10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Jesus, turn, to, uh, turn back to 1 Timothy 2, we'll get there in a second. But what we just read tells us that Jesus is prepared to be the Savior of everyone in the world. And He will be the Savior of everyone who will believe on Him. Let me read that to you again. Who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe? So Jesus is waiting to save. 
that person who lives on 15 cents a day in country after country after country. I just heard the story recently. I don't even remember. I think it was at the church planners conference in Rhode Island. I think it was. Of someone on a missions trip. And they were traveling somewhere in a Jeep to get to a meeting. And they came to a a tree that was in the middle of the road, if I'm not mistaken. Does this sound familiar to you? I'm not sure where I heard it. Uh, a tree in the middle of the road. And they couldn't, it was, it was a, a wide footpath, but they couldn't get the Jeep through there. So they labored and labored to get the Jeep around the tree. And the driver, who was one of the missionaries, went to somebody who lived in a little hut nearby and talked to him. And when they came back through the next day, not only was the tree gone, but the stump was out of the ground. Now, you know, to get a stump out of the ground with, a, with, a, with proper tools is a significant job. Well, this guy had very little. I mean, he had maybe a, a, a saw. That was it. And they came back, and the stump was gone. Well, come to find out, he had worked all day long just because the driver of the Jeep said, I'll give you 15 cents. He worked all day long for 15 cents because he made so little that 15 cents was a day's pay for him to get that stump out. <coughs> there are places, I remember hearing years ago, that something like 15% of the world, 15% of the world, their great challenge every single day is to find clean drinking water. 15% of the world. The great challenge every day is to find clean drinking water. And yet Jesus died for that 15% just as much as he did you and I who throw out the remainder of bottled water on a regular basis. Jesus is prepared to be the savior of all those people. And it's it's not difficult to pull on our heartstrings when it comes to people living in poverty, but the fact is, He died for the wealthy who many times are much less likely to put their faith in Jesus Christ because after all, what do they need? We have wealthy people all over our town, very wealthy people, many gated homes, many gated communities. And we've got to find a way to get the gospel to them as well. We've got to pray for them to be saved as well. And Jesus died for them as well. You're in 1 Timothy 2 now, verses 3 and 4. Before we read this, let me, let me remind you what we've read. God loved everyone in the whole world so much that he gave his son Jesus to save them. God the Father sent Jesus his son to be the savior of everyone in the world. Jesus was sent to take away the sin of everyone in the world. Jesus is the peace offering to God on behalf of every human being. Jesus is prepared to be the savior of everyone in the world and will be the savior of everyone who will believe on him. Now, don't miss this, because there's a lot of people that teach that this isn't true, but it's right here in the Bible in black and white. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It is God's desire for everyone in the world to be saved. I I don't think that's what it means. I don't know. It's what God says. Who will have all men to be saved? Turn over a few pages to 2 Peter chapter 3. 
It is God's desire for everyone in the world to be saved. Say, okay, then why, why isn't everyone saved? A number of reasons. One reason is they never hear the gospel. Another reason is the Corinthians says that Satan has blinded their minds. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine to them and they should be saved. That verse says that if everyone in the world were not blinded, everyone in the world would be saved. So this is a spiritual battle here. It's God's desire for everyone in the world to be saved. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is what we read in our scripture reading. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want any human being to perish. What did John 3, 16 say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish. And this says that he's not willing that any should perish. You put all the pieces together, God wants everybody in the world to be saved. God doesn't want any human being to perish. God wants every human being to turn to Christ. Turn over to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22. There's two more verses. This is the first, and then we're going to 2 Corinthians, and we'll be done. Revelation 22, verse 17. This is the last chapter of the Bible, and this is one final invitation. God closes the Bible with one last invitation to everybody. Revelation 22, verse 17. And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's the church, say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The Spirit of God and the church of God team up to extend God's invitation to everyone in the world. That means that the Holy Spirit of God is waiting to team up with me and with you. To take the gospel to everyone in the world. Now let's go to the last passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a lot of ways to approach the opportunity and the responsibility of missions that we have. What, what if, we, if you're not familiar with the term missions, what am I talking about? All right, there are 20... Three different people, families, groups, ministries that we support. And I wish that number were 100. I wish that number were 200. Right now it's 23. People, ministries, groups, families in countries all over the world. Some of them are here in America. Many of them, we have one that we don't even know his name because it would be dangerous for, for us to know his name. So they tell us his name is David, but his name is not David in Iran. There is an underground church. We don't, I don't as far as I know, we don't support them. Um, no, no, because we don't, have a, we don't have a missionary in Syria. But there was an underground, in, underground church in Syria that was on the same street where the street was that uh, where Paul was sent when he went to Damascus. There was a final frontiers missionary. There are final frontiers missionaries in Libya, in Iran, 
in these places where Christians are being killed and they have churches meeting in hiding underground right on the same block where the, where the capital of all this terrorism is taking place. I'm saying we have an opportunity to support them in prayer and to support them with money. And I, I hope for the day that we can have Brother John Nelms to come back. He, and he, is the, uh, he can tell us all about all these things. But look at First John, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Did you get that? Jesus Christ makes it possible for man to be reconciled to God because Jesus Christ paid for man's sin. And the work of reconciliation is complete. And now he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That means every human being can be reconciled with God. But it's our responsibility to get the word out. And that's where missions, our church missions program comes in. We operate in a system that's called faith promise missions. Now let me be just clear with you. I am not an expert on missions, and I, I, it's, there's so many things that I have to keep rolling that I am not able to focus my attention on practically any of them. If I could give my full-time attention to, to missions, and I pray someday we have a staff member, staff member whose job it is to be just their total focus on missions, we could see that number go from 23 to maybe 200 or 300 or 1,000 missionaries. See, that's impossible. There's churches that are not huge churches that have that many missionaries. But it takes, it takes, okay, we have today is our mission Sunday. And even on this day with, with so much that we keep, you, you know, a Sunday service and Sunday school and all these things, they don't just happen. So many things are prepared for. Hours and hours and hours of preparation go into just making the church service happen in Sunday school every, every week. And... So I'm not able to devote. If I were to able to devote all my time, Lord, we, man, we, we, we would keep uh, missions before you all the time. You'd be hearing about missionaries constantly. It would be constantly before you, and, and the Lord would move in your heart to pray and to give and to communicate with our missionaries. Just frankly, I'm not in a place where I can do that. But on this one day, I present to you this thing called Faith Promise Missions. And what that is, is you make a commitment to the Lord. You don't make that commitment today, you'll make it next week. Next week, you'll make a commitment to the Lord to say, every week of 2018, I will give this amount to missions. I want you to understand something. We don't report this to anybody. This does not help our church in any way. Financially. Spiritually, it does. But not financially. In fact... Financially, it would be smarter if we didn't get your, to send your money uh, to, to, to missionaries. It would be more money for us. Why do we do this? Because I want you to stand before God and be well rewarded for what you accomplished on this earth. And so when you give a dollar or a couple of dollars, or many, many, many of you could be, give many dollars to missions every single week in the offering, that money 
tells us how many people that we can promise our support to. And you literally are directly keeping those missionaries on the field. And we can have more of an impact for God. I'm going to ask, let me have Brother Corky come and uh, take these and get these out to a couple of ushers and make sure everybody gets one. Now, you're not going to turn this in. We'll give you a card next week to turn in. This is just for you to prayerfully consider this week. Thank you. This is for you to prayerfully consider this week. Our goals for 2018, we want to add three final frontiers missionaries, put them on the field, and we want to add one American-sent missionary to what we're doing. To accomplish this, we require 50 people to give a dollar more per week to missions in 2018 than you gave in 2017. So for your own understanding, don't fill this out here. You're not turning this in. This is for your own consideration, your own calculation. I want you to assess what you gave to missions each week in 2017. Then I want you to decide what you'll add to that amount each week in 2018. And then next Sunday, you come back. You don't have to bring this paper with you, but you come back with this number in your head, the total amount that you'll give to missions each week in 2018. And when we get that commitment and we start to see that money come in in the beginning of 2018, designated to missions, not a penny of that, pays a bill for our church or helps us with the bus ministry, the radio ministry, not a penny of that goes to our church's ministries. It goes to missionaries. Now, if we have a missionary come and there's excess in the missions account, we will use the missions account to put the missionary in a motel to give him a love offering. That's all missions work. But the first thing that the missions money does is keep missionaries on the field and pay for them as they minister to the Lord around the world. You take that and you bring it before the Lord because, let me tell you, your decisions about ministries, you will meet those decisions and your fulfillment of them at the judgment seat of Christ. And you will be glad that you gave to the work of the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to see the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the opportunity that we have to get it to the lost world. Lord, thank you for many people in this room who did not know Christ before they heard the gospel from someone in our church. And now they're saved and now they're here and now they're loving you and serving you. And I praise you for that.